The Four Horsemen. What you have here is the Four Horsemen, united, live and exciting color. Um, not those Four Horsemen. These Four Horsemen discuss theology from different viewpoints, different perspectives, as we show people how to have discussions without turning into a keyboard warrior. Are you stupid? Now, here's Dennis Thurman, Adam Black, Benjamin Kerfman, and Terry Hollifield, the Four Horsemen. Putting this in the recording, if you have some kind of audio meme or someone shouting amen or a clip of David yelling amen in one of his sermons, please send it to us to use in the podcast. Somebody. We, we need we need some good ones to put in there. We will use them without your permission and at our discretion. So you may end up amening something you don't want to amen. And you do not get a royalty check. But it's the internet, so yeah. we can do whatever we For, want. Yeah. We want to welcome you to the this next episode of The Four Horsemen. Here we are, uh, The Four Horsemen, The Terry, the real deal, Hallfield, uh, Benjamin Kerfman, who just ate Bojangles of some sort. Liquid chicken, and, I think, is what he had. And Damn. the Dennis Thurman. And so uh, we hope that you are enjoying our podcast so far. And we'd like to hear some feedback from you guys. If you got questions or anything like that, be sure to comment. Or ask one of us privately if you want to. But um, and we so, just hope the sound engineer does not give us feedback. Yes, if this sounds great, we'd like to thank Wally Kelly. If it sounds horrible, it's because I mixed it wrong. So we're just giving it a shot. And also, uh, Pole Creek Baptist Church has provided these uh, excellent microphones and soundboard. Mm-hmm. Well, Dennis has an excellent. Yes, yeah, to say if you could yes. see what I've got. Um, yes, it's. Yeah. Anyway, straight from the this is like the mother of all microphones. Yeah, you got to work your way up to the patriarch. Once right, you yeah. hit forty when years, you've been a pastor for twenty years, you can have a nice mic too. <laughs> forty. Yeah. Well, twenty years it goes along right? with my Learjet. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so we're going to continue on our topics, and the topic we're going to cover today. There's been a lot of debate and discussion about preaching in general and the different types of preaching and and the methods of preaching and things of that nature. So the question is fairly simple today. We're going to talk about um, amongst us horsemen is what is the goal of preaching? A simple question. And so we're going to begin with the one who has done it the most, uh, and that is the Dennis Thurman. What is, in your opinion, the goal of preaching? Very simply, in Colossians one twenty eight, Him Christ we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. So to me, that's the great uh, encapsulation of the goal of preaching. We're to present Jesus, and we warn those that are in sin, and then when they come to faith, if they come to faith, we help them to grow, and that's a process that never stops. The way I like to express and think of it is my life mission is to meet people where they are and lead them to become like Jesus. And so that's also the goal of my preaching. So no matter where people are spiritually, that's where we begin. And we have to intersect our message with where they are and bring them to where they need to be, which ultimately, of course, the final destination when they reach uh, heaven. So that's how I see the goal. Can, Can I ask a question? Surely you can. Um, cause it'll, it'll help me when we get it, when we get around to me, how would you define preaching? So what we understand what you think the goal is preaching. What, what is preaching? I think preaching is the communication of God's truth through 
human instrumentality uh, to connect with other human beings um, in a level in which they can can comprehend and, and digest that truth. Okay, so but okay, but couldn't couldn't we and don't we do that at the coffee shop? You can sure. In you fact, wouldn't call that. Would you call that preaching? Yes. Okay. Uh, in in a fashion. Okay. Uh, and in this sense, we're all called to preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. Now, not everybody's going to stand in the pulpit and teach doctrine authoritatively. Sure. But when Jesus gave the Great Commission, it was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't limit that to these uh, pastor-type people. Yeah, yeah, that's good. So, so you're uh, advocating for women preaching also? Absolutely. In that sense, Based on that definition? Yes, yes. So, so to, for clarification then, in our discussion, are we talking about what takes place in the corporate gathering of the church on Sunday mornings? Or are we talking about a more general preaching of the gospel so what about open air preaching right so that's what i'm asking so uh, so you're saying is preaching preaching or are there different is there a difference i don't think so that's that's what i'm putting on the table is there a difference yeah in having a bible study or -hmm. discussion at a coffee shop or in the pulpit is there a difference well i think i think we Many of us, uh, I think all of us maybe would say yes, because um, we all believe as the four horsemen, we believe that um, the office of elder is reserved for men of certain qualifications um, and that the preaching in the corporate gathering of the church uh, on the Lord's Day um, is largely done by elders, doesn't have to be done by elders. Um, but in that sense, would we agree that it would be males that would do that preaching? I would agree with that. But the male, it wouldn't have to be a male that preached the gospel at Starbucks Correct. to, you know, whomever. Correct. Uh, they are evangelists as well. So, so the question is, how do you carry that into other activities in the church? For instance, um, I've heard some some churches that would say that they're complementary and so they believe in a, a distinction in men and women's roles in ministry they would say you know we wouldn't let a woman complementarian me- meaning separate roles but equal value yes, yes right um so the way that they would interpret that within the context of the church gathering like on sundays they would say in the pulpit on sunday morning we think that it needs to be a male elder that is preaching Mm-hmm. Um, but I've heard others say that if it was a Sunday night service, it wouldn't <laughs> so, matter if it was a woman or so a Sunday school class. So the time, the time, the time yes. of day is yes. And location. Some yes. people would say that. What the question is, is like, okay, I know a lot of guys who are complementarian who would say, I don't want a woman teaching a Sunday school class that's mixed adult. Mm-hmm. Unless it's Because kids. then it's women teaching men. Unless it's kids, well, right? Kids yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so, so, I mean, that's a, that's a fair question when it sure. comes to preaching of – if we define preaching as as uh, teaching doctrine or proclaiming the word or expositing the word or anything like that, then yeah, obviously every Christian is doing that on some level when we should share be. the gospel. Yeah, be, yeah, we're proclaiming the news of Jesus. Um, but the question is, is is context? You know, so when does when does that come into play? Um, what's the difference between Sunday school and Sunday morning worship or a Wednesday night Bible study at your house or the coffee shop? So it sounds like the, the context that it, that preaching is happening is uh, in makes a difference 
and how people view that. So, the, so I guess really it goes kind of down to the question of, is Sunday morning worship any different from any other time? Because culturally, it seems like we treat it that way, but is that is it really biblical for it to be that way? For for it to be different, as far as the the qualifications. So, if we're saying uh, to a woman, you can teach Sunday school with men in it, or you can teach a Sunday night women's class, or you're teaching a mixed adult class on, say, parenting, but it's you're teaching scripture. A lot of people would say that that's okay, but they would say, well, we don't want her to preach on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so is the only difference the time and location, or is there some kind of biblical reason that makes them different? Yeah. And so the reason I asked your definition is because I think, I think, and we've learned in our podcast and in conversations uh, in our lives that defining what we're talking about matters. A especially lot. When, a lot. <laughs> so I think, you know, biblically speaking, um, the idea of preaching um, and the, the words used for preach and preaching and, and that sort of thing is essentially evangelism. It is proclaiming the good news. It's a gospel, whether that be in a context of believers or unbelievers. Preaching is largely done as a missionary-type effort, whereas— Well, you're a herald. You're a herald. Right. That's right. Whereas what's described in the New Testament as taking place in the synagogue or in the gathering um, is more referred to as teaching, um, where it's instructional. Because it's for the church. That's correct. Right. Where it's an instructional, doctrinal. And, and teaching is also described as taking place when unbelievers are present as well, but it wasn't in the corporate gathering of the church, that sort of thing. So, so I think it matters when we, when we look at what's the goal of preaching. To remember what is preaching, but I think when we are saying the word preaching in our current context now, we're using it to mean what takes place on Sunday morning. That's what I'm. A- that's why I'm asking for that clarification, because I think biblically it's not what would take place on the Lord's day in the corporate world. It, that would be teaching. So maybe that's what we. Maybe we need to go around and define yeah. preaching as to even establish that we're talking about the same thing. Yes. Because because maybe because that can cause confusion even among the four of us if we're not yeah. understanding preaching. Well, clearly. let me muddy the waters even more. Yeah. On a Wednesday evening, I gather in a more informal setting mm-hmm. with my Bible open as I do on Sunday morning when I'm preaching. But I just go verse by verse, making comments and eliciting uh, questions or discussion from the congregation as a whole, which I'm not typically doing on Sunday morning, um, is that preaching as far as you would understand it? Or is, is that I would something say that's else? what's described in the New Testament as taking place in the gathering of the church all the time. Um, the, uh, the New Testament would refer, refer to it as teaching, um, but there's, and there's almost always, they, it talks about Paul, uh, people disputing with Paul and arguing back and forth so they would our would, folks do that too but they do it at lunch after the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so it wouldn't <laughs> just it, it wouldn't just be somebody up there lecturing they would, would they would read the scripture and expound the scripture but then people would digest it together and that's if you go to a jewish uh a messianic jewish gathering today they will they will read the scripture and expound the scripture and then they eat a meal and they'll chew on They'll hash it out with each other, man. Um, so I think what you're doing on Wednesday night looks very much like the church. I think that's. So you're saying then on Sunday morning I'm not preaching. 
I would say on because Sunday, it's more of a monologue instead of a dialogue. I would say that you're preaching. Here's where we get confusing in definitions. That you're being a herald. Yes. Um, teaching is um, in in as it's shown in the Bible and as it's shown as we know teaching theory. Teaching's more of a of a dialectical thing. It's a back and forth. That's the best way teaching takes place. Um, so we tend to practice heralding on Sunday mornings where there's an audience out there and we herald to them. But um, and we we hope we try to teach a little bit, um, but there's no there's no hashing out together, no dot. So I think we do in mode preaching Sunday mornings what is described as preaching in an evangelistic sense in the public in the New Testament. So in a nutshell, how would you define it? How would I define preaching? Yes. Well, I would I would say that preaching is what um, we do to the lost. We proclaim the gospel uh, to lost people, and we call them to repent and believe in Jesus, believe on Jesus. Um, and... Um, I think in our modern context, when we say the word preaching, we mean teaching right. in the church. We're expounding doctrine. We're trying to grow the saints and and that sort of thing. If there uh, are lost people present, which in our previous podcast we talked about, there will be lost people present. Um, we hope to also um, ex- you know, um, include the gospel and call them to repentance. But the primary job on Sunday mornings, whether you term that preaching or teaching or whatever, um, is to expound doctrine and, and grow uh, for the saints. So, so now, when Paul though was in the synagogue mm-hmm. and they were disputing with him, yes, right. These were lost people yes. that he's talking to, even yep. though they were religious people. But they yeah, were, most of them were lost. Yeah, people. yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah but he. Um, that's why I said. But it was a dialogue. Yes, that's why I say teaching is also uh, described as being used when there were lost people present. Um, but it's exclusive. Um, uh, Preaching is exclusive to the public um, in, in the New Testament. The, the words that are used there, it's nearly exclusive to public. It could be, we call it today street preaching, or um, that's what they do. They're out there, hey, here's great news. Um, you can be saved from your sin, repent and believe the gospel. Or like Peter did at Pentecost. Yes, that's preaching. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, Ben, what are your thoughts? I would I would probably define it differently. Um, I, I than like the New the Testament. Way... He defined it differently than the New Testament. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course. Well, I mean, you know, I'm just kind of unhitching that because it doesn't agree with me. So. Right, I got it. Um, I like the way that Steve Lawson uh, talks about preaching, which is this idea of um, it's, it's teaching, it's exposition and exhortation combined together. And so if you are expositing Scripture or you're exposing the meaning of Scripture, but you're not commanding someone to do something with it, then you're just teaching, which is fine. You know, if you're learning about the history of Israel or you're learning about the audience of a text and a passage or, you know, all that background research that a pastor does when he's preparing his sermon, that that is uh, teaching. He's teaching himself because he's learning. Um, If you just have exhortation where you're commanding people to do something without exposition, you're going to end up in you know, legalism and false doctrine and all kinds of stuff. Because I mean, self-help teaching, right? Yeah. So if you just want to get up there and scream about whatever your hobby horse is, or you want to get up there and tell people something that's going to make them feel really good without teaching behind that, then you're going to end up in trouble. But if you just get up there and educate people, you're not preaching. Um, so there should be a difference between a seminary class and a sermon. 
if that makes sense. So in my mind, uh, preaching is informing me about what God's word says, but it's, it's uh, calling me to do something about it. Now, that can happen in the context of a lost person because you're calling them, you need to repent and believe the gospel. That's that's your response that you need to do. But we also do that in the church. We should be doing that in the church every Sunday morning of this is what the Word of God says, and church, this is what you need to do about what the Word of God says. And that's preaching. And so in that sense, it's authoritative which I think is what makes it different on Sunday morning. It's the same thing, you know, when, when a pastor stands behind a pulpit, if he has a pulpit in his church, when he stands behind that and opens the Word what of God. What if he sits on a stool? Well, that's a different topic. You know, historically, the pulpit comes from the cathedral in the Roman Basilica, which is the seat of judgment in the Roman courthouse. So the Christian church kind of adopted that from the Romans, but historically. Is that a good or a bad thing? That's a whole different topic. <laughs> we, we can we can have that yes. uh, that conversation. Mm-hmm. That would be a good episode to do. But mm-hmm. um, but I think if I get up in the pulpit on Sunday morning and I open the Bible and I say this is the Word of God and I teach them and then I command them to do something as a shepherd of that church, um, there's authority that comes with that. Of I I'm not asking you to do this. The Word of God says do this or you're in sin. And that carries a lot of weight with it. So you're not just educating people, but you're literally telling them, this is what you must do to become sanctified. And so that's different than a Sunday school class or a small group or something like that. Not that you're not calling people to obey the scripture, but there's a different sense of authority. And I think that's kind of where it comes from with uh, like women in ministry of like, um, if can a woman study Bible history and know about Bible history? Absolutely. She can learn about the Word of God just like any man can. Um, could she even educate people on uh, here's what the Scripture says about this history or here's uh, what the original languages say or whatever? Yes, yeah, she can educate somebody. Does she have the right to command the church to do something in light of Scripture? I think Scripture reserves that for the elders. I, th- I think there's a pretty clear distinction there. Well, that's what I'd wrote, that preaching, is, it, it's not so much about the act than it is the role. Kind of what you're talking about. There's an authority that comes with it. Yeah, Yeah. it's more of the role than it is the actual act because, like Terry was mentioning, all of us, no matter male, female, you know, should be proclaiming the good news everywhere they go. But I think it's more towards the role um, than it is the actual act. So I think when you think about there's some good examples in Scripture, okay? So, for instance, um, the the religious leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, they were teaching – all throughout the week, they were teaching Torah. I mean, they were they were experts in the law, in the scriptures, and so they're teaching those things. But they were not preaching. When you look at preaching, you see John the Baptist, who is commanding them to repent. You need to, you need to repent because the Son of Man is coming. And that's where I say it was out in public. It was, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but I also think of the example of Jesus uh, when he got up in the synagogue and read from Isaiah. And then proclaims, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they said, wow, he he speaks like one that has authority. Why? Because he's saying this is what the word of God is telling you to do. And so that's different. He wasn't just educating them on the scroll of Isaiah. He was saying this is what God is actually doing with this scroll. And I think when you think about it from that way, it's very sobering when it comes to preaching. Because it's like, I better be really careful if I tell these people that God wants them to do something. 
Um, well, James tells us that, you know, don't. Yeah, but I think sometimes we don't take it that seriously. <laughs> if like, I'm actually I'm actually going to have to stand before Jesus. And if I command these people to do something that's sinful or legalistic, I'm going to have to stand in judgment for that. Yeah, I was reading something on uh, Gospel Coalition. I can't remember who wrote it, um, but he he took it further than I would probably take it. He said that when we when we are standing up and saying, thus says the word of God, that. And, and we are preaching and using the modern use of the word that um, it's not only us that is speaking. It is God that is speaking. We're the instrument. We're the instrument. Now, I would hedge that a little bit to mm-hmm. say that I'm speaking. I hope to faithfully represent what God says. Um, but I, I would totally agree that there should be a, a tremendous gravity that comes with man. If I stand up and, say, and I'm saying literally, hey. Here's what God says, dude. It better be what it scares says. me to death, man. Yeah. I mean, and to whom much is given, much is oh required. My gracious, yeah. man. I, I, I tell people say, do you ever get nervous? All the time. You I can't eat before I preach because I'll be <laughs> TMI. I'll be running to the bathroom. You know, I'm right? So, yeah. I'm so nervous about it. Um, not because I don't feel like the Lord will help me, or that I'm ill prepared or unprepared or anything like that. Um, I've preached. I haven't preached a lot because I don't preach every week. But I can think of one sermon in the last ten years that I preached that I actually felt like okay. I felt like I did what I was supposed to do. Yes. Almost every time I preach, I get done, and I'm just or, or especially if I listen to myself again, and I'm just like, this is awful. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that the teaching is awful. My my skill is not what I want it to be in a lot of ways. But at the same time, there there is definitely this feeling of, you know, I always pray before I get up to preach, and I'm just like, Lord, if I, you know, please help me not mess this up, you know, because these are people's souls. And the more that I'm pastoring, you know, even in situations I'm dealing with right now, you know, just the gravity today of thinking of, of you know, Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, and he said, then feed my sheep. And that's what Jesus asked of me is these are my little lambs. I want you to take care of my little lambs. And it's like, if you you think about the children, he says, you know, if anyone uh, does something to one of these little children, it's better for him to have a millstone around his neck and get thrown in the ocean. I'm like, that's pretty hardcore. So I think we can agree then (laughs) that that part of the goal of preaching would be to honor the Lord by being faithful to what he has said. We cannot we can agree. We agree. We agree on that. Yeah, that, and that's kind of leading into the next thing is as far as the goal of preaching, um, a, a certain pastor, I'm not going to name names, he, he made this statement, and I think this, this kind of goes to the heart of this discussion. He says this, that our approach to communicating or preaching should be ch- shaped by our goal in preaching. So the question is, um, what is the goal of preaching, you, you mentioned proclaiming God's word. We're going to be faithful to what okay. he said. Yeah. So, how would you define that specifically? The goal of preaching. So, like outcomes. Yeah. What yeah. What is the the outcome we are seeking uh, in in our preaching, Dennis? What do you think? Well, you're seeking the evangelizing of lost souls. You're seeking to bring them. Uh, to hear the gospel and for the Holy Spirit to work through that, and the gospel's power to save. And then for those who are saved, you're seeking to grow them up, to feed the sheep so that they'll be healthy 
and uh, be able to reproduce and reach out to others. And uh, through that, the church is built and, and instructed, edified. Uh, so to me, it's, uh, you know, pretty clear cut to just simply say, here's what God says, and this is what we need to do about it. And um, and so I, I think those are always paramount in my mind. I'm thinking you're going to have people there that are lost and they need to know the Lord. You've got people there that are saved and they need to grow. And we never get to a place that we don't need that. So, you know, those are those are things that uh, I'm after. Right. What about you, Ben? What's, what's your goal? What is your hopeful outcome? Well, I think the easy Jesus Duke answer is the glory of God. Amen. Which obviously we would all agree with that. But but I think to kind of unpack that a little bit, um, to use a, a modern preacher term, to unpack that would look like if the Son of Man is lifted up, then he'll draw me into himself. I mean, that's what the scripture says. And so my that was talking about the crucifixion. Yes. But but I think the the principle there is true in the sense of uh, when Jesus is presented, when the word of God is presented. As Christ crucified. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is the gospel, which all of the scriptures speak to the gospel because that is that the gospel is the outcome of the scripture if you want to talk about outcomes. I mean if you're if you're preaching the Bible and and the 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 death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and salvation of sin, all that doesn't come out in that text. You're missing something in the text because, yeah, I mean, even Spurgeon, I think it, the way that he said it was is, you know, I read my text and then I go straight to the cross. You know, <laughs> that's kind of uh, it was his philosophy. But I think when it comes to the goal of preaching, the goal is to glorify God for who He is in that text. And what I think, is, what would that look like? Preaching it faithfully. So like, like Terry was saying, the idea of uh, I'm going to, to study this text and I'm going to teach it and I'm going to, uh, if there's if there's a sin to avoid, if there's a promise to claim, if there's um, something that I'm supposed to do as a result of this text, I want to give that to my people. Um, you know, for instance, like uh, the catechism we do with our kids. Uh, uh, why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. Um and so uh, how, do, how do you glorify God? By loving him and keeping his commands. So I want my people to love him and keep his commands in Scripture, and that brings him glory, which is what we're made to do. And in the process of that, people are going to be saved, people are going to grow in Christ. But I think the, the goal is is that um, if Jesus was sitting in front of me and heard me preach, I would want him to be uh, satisfied with what I did with his word. And I think I think at the end of the day, if you do that, the consequence of that is that the Spirit will take that and do His perfect work in every heart, whether that's a lost person, a saved person, or whatever. Um, and so I think the 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 gospel, the Scripture, is the power of God into salvation. So I think it, there's a just a big emphasis on preaching that faithfully. Well, and and I agree with that, but I would also add this: that Jesus said, "Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit." Mm-hmm. So we do have to keep in mind the result of the fruit and how. Which I think is where the exhortation comes in. Right. So I think if if you just preach a text to just say, oh, this text was written in 621 B.C. and blah, blah, blah. That's not really preaching. Like I said, preaching would be taking that text and saying, here's what you need to do. as This is what God's word is commanding you to do today. How are you going to respond to his word today? And I think that that's where that fruit comes in of. 
you should walk out every Sunday after you hear the Word of God and recognize that there's an area that you need to grow in and have a, a renewed commitment to, to ask God to work that out in your life. He was a communication for a change. Well, that's exactly that's how is. I yes. was going to define yeah. the goal, honestly, yeah. was to communicate for a change. I mean, because that's what you're... That is what you're wanting to do. Doing. It's just something Certainly. you're just not able to change it on your own outside the power of God. Terry, what's your opinion on the goal? I, I, I would preach. I think a, a goal of preaching is have it to be used by the Lord uh, to grow his saints and to draw lost people to himself. Um, I had a, had a quote here from a, an article that I read, uh, and it was talking about how this article is talking about how preaching isn't enough. How preaching alone isn't enough. And I think as pastors, we would all agree with that, that at some point we can stand, we can stand up in front of a congregation of X number of people and expound the word of God and sweat and spit and snort best we can uh, and be faithful the best we can. Amen. But at some point, there has to be a, 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 a moving of the Spirit of God on the people through that Word of God that we've uh, hopefully communicated faithfully. So they actually go out and do something. Right. Um, and hopefully we can lead the charge in that, not just in preaching in the pulpit, but by the way we live our lives, we demonstrate what the application of that passage looks like. Um, so this, this thing said, um, so it's talking about not leading to action. It says, when an army never goes to war, it by necessity focuses on shining boots, making beds, and marching in a straight line. The church that, the church that does not move to action by necessity must focus on Robert's rules of order, committee rules, and acquisition of pulpit furniture. The pastor as teacher is the pastor as coach. Teaching means more than telling people what and telling them why. It progresses to showing them how, doing it with them, letting them do it, and deploying them into the harvest field. So I would say uh, effective preaching would result in that. Yeah. That's what I would say. Well, but in a good coach, it's not just somebody that devises a great game plan, gets all the players charged up, but is able to get them out on the field to execute the game plan. And, and you don't have a winning team until you do that. Yeah. So from the approach standpoint, how do we go about accomplishing that? Exactly. Yeah, we, we want to communicate for change. We want to see them play the game well. But in our preparation and things of that nature, what what goes into that? I would say for me, one of the things that um, we all have our pet peeves, but one of mine is the idea that, um, and I, I'm, I'm someone who believes that when you have an, a group of people in front of you and you have an opportunity to proclaim the gospel, <laughs> do it because they're, inevitably will be lost people among you. So proclaim the gospel um, and articulate the gospel well and help them understand the gospel and that sort of thing. Um, but one of the, the pitfalls, I think, in our modalities, our method and how we do things is that we focus so much on accommodating that lost person. I'm as evangelistic as anybody, you know that. But we focus so much on accommodating that lost person or even the brand new baby Christian that there are Christians who have been baby Christians forever starving on the vine in our churches. And we see this in churches that do a great job of evangelism, right? Like new people come there, the Lord uses it to save them, and but eventually they start starving spiritually, and they will go elsewhere. There's something, it, they, they are babes hungering for meat, and all they get is milk. 
right. right? So I think we need to be intentional in our methodology. If we're going to train up warriors for the battle, then we got to treat them like that. We got to, you know, Paul desired to move on from the fundamental or elemental things of the gospel to deeper components of the gospel, but they weren't ready for that yet. He was disappointed. Right. Uh, so I think we need to be intentional about growing the folks. We don't leave, want to leave anyone behind. Don't get me wrong. We want to proclaim the gospel to lost people. But, um, man, if we don't uh, stretch people in their understanding of the Word of God and stretch people in their, to get out of their complacency of where they are and challenge them, even in teaching them deeper doctrine and maybe even a, a good theological word every now and then that means something, um, I, I think we're doing a disservice. Well, I, mean, I certainly agree we need to challenge them, but you've got to understand that, that the great challenge to me is when I'm standing up there looking at a congregation, let's say 400 people are out there on Sunday, that they're at all levels yes. of, of their spiritual life. And while I don't want to dumb down the truth, they're, to me, the best compliment that I hear when people are coming out of the church is, I understood what you were saying. Yeah. So you, you've got to put the cookies on the shelf where they can reach them, but realize that you have to, you know, there are people farther advanced and you want to take them even farther. But I think we can also communicate um, deeper things in ways that are understandable. Absolutely. That's what yeah. we should do. Yeah, for sure. And, and you don't have to do all the work on Sunday morning. Preach, brother. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> um, I, I think sometimes we put so much of an emphasis on Sunday morning that we forget that, I mean, Sunday morning should just be a celebration of what's happening during the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, that shouldn't be the the. Well, I wouldn't say just. I say that should be a large component. But we're yeah, also, but yeah. but I'm saying culturally we see it as like I'm a Christian because I go to church on Sunday, mm-hmm. and it's like no. You're a Christian every day. You go to church because you want to celebrate with your brothers and sisters of what God has done during the week in your daily sanctification. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's a cultural component that's missing. And so while absolutely we're teaching the flock in, in a larger context on Sunday morning, of course, you know, churches use things like small groups or Sunday school or one-on-one mentoring or different things like that to try to help those people that are at different levels. And, and I think one of the things I've just learned in my short time pastoring is that um, there are some people that have different capacity than others. Yeah, sure. You know, there may be some people that um, they may be towards the end of their life and they just they just don't have the time to become what they could have been 50 years ago. Sure. Yeah. And then, of course, intellectually, people have different mm-hmm. uh, different capacities and things. Uh, giftedness is the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of us in here preach on a somewhat regular basis or have opportunities to do that, and probably all of our skill levels are different, and probably all of our capacities are different. I, I think I could do a lot better in my preaching, but if I want to compare myself to other people, sometimes I'm just not going to be able to do that. And I think sometimes we expect our church members to all be on a theological level that some of them just may not be at. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think that we need to be sensitive to that. And, but you know, it's like, it's like, um, teaching young people. Um, we tend to, we dumb things down to the cultural level that they, that the culture expects young people to be at. And that's this perpetual adolescence and, infantile behavior and thinking and that sort of thing. And I think we... Are you talking about young people or are you talking about 
yeah. adults. Talk about it. Well, and that's exactly that's a great segue, Dennis. Um, and I think that that moves into how we treat adults as well. I think we. Um, I would disagree that the, all the cookies should be on the bottom shelf. I think if we put, no, no, no. I said where they could reach them. So it depends on who's the one that's reaching where they are. Yeah. So, but there's but, always going to be somebody that needs something on the bottom of the shelf. Right? No, no doubt, no right. doubt. So the question becomes, who do we try to cater to, right. and what's our what is our goal? And I would say, you know, it, it's. It's um, it's a tough balance to strike, but if we're communicating to such a mixed audience like that, we need to make it very. Um, what does it use the uh, probably several pastors, but talked about deep water being really clear. Um, it, it, you can have deep water that's really clear, and you can see all the way to the bottom to it. Um, but when you get in, you can swim in it. So I think preaching should look like that. Even in deep things, we should communicate it in such a clear way that the most new person can glean from that, yet not not oversimplify things or leave some things out or, or you know that sort of thing, so that those who are developing and are we seek to grow and have the capacity to do so, they can still be challenged. So um, I think tying that in with Adam's question, which was. Basically, how do we do that practically? If if the goal is to get people to understand and change, if we're communicating for a change, how do we do that on a practical level? I think what you're saying, or really what everybody's saying, is intentionality. And something that I've realized in preaching is, you know, you, you go to Bible college or you do whatever, and there's all this emphasis on, you know, studying and exegesis and Look at the root words and look at the original language and, uh, you know, how do you organize your sermon and homiletics? And there's all this kind of stuff. But then sometimes there's not a lot of emphasis on on that application piece, what you're saying, Adam. And so what I've realized is, is probably probably things like illustrations and uh, like you said, Terry, thinking about, okay, who is the average person that I'm trying to communicate to? You might to? need to know your congregation, huh? I think one of the ways that we can do this better and that other pastors who maybe are listening to the podcast can do is spend a lot more time intentionally on on the the delivery or the clarification of that truth and not just studying the text because – um, you can have all the knowledge, and that's fine, but if you're not communicating in a way that they're understanding it and understanding what you're calling them to do and how to do it, then it, it doesn't really uh, help them a whole lot. And that's like what Terry was saying. You have people that have sat on a pew for 50 years, and they're, and they're no more spiritually mature now than they were 50 years ago, not because they weren't hearing truth, but because uh, basically they didn't think it was for them. Right. One of the things that I – the faults I see of preachers and people who – you know, preach God's word is their goal seems to be memorization, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, they want the per person to leave thinking about three points or whatever. Um, but like my goal is, is, you know, I want them to leave for transformation in the sense of this is what it would look like if you applied what the text says to your life. And, um, you know, because if you can do that, and so when I, when I'm going through uh, studying and things of that nature, you look for, okay, here's, here's the big idea, you know, the CIT, you know, um, the single point or how many ever points and okay, what, what does that look like? What does CIT if, stand for? 
central idea of the text. Thank you. Boom. Yeah, there we go. I Hashtag Freeland. Yeah, amen. <laughs> but I think that if you if you can't get there, if you can't get to what it looks like, if if what that change would look like in somebody, regardless of what the text says, I think you're going to have a, a big time struggle. And I think that's when guys resort to and they don't do it manual. Uh, uh, they don't do it on purpose is uh, the preaching cliches. <laughs> it's like, you know, be led by the spirit. Amen. That's a truth. What does that look like? How am I going to do that at work Tuesday? Um, and I think that's where. And on the flip side, some guys go too far that way that it's not in the text. <laughs> like it's not in the text. So I think you have to be in the text because the text gives you all you need. You just got to the gotta sufficiency of Scripture. I think he just alluded to. Yeah. yeah, I think something that would be helpful. And I found it helpful in, in my preaching, which um, has a long way to go to grow. Um, is uh, one of the most valuable things I've ever done, as we've talked about, Adam. You said you did a poll of your congregation. Um, you know, when I'm putting together sermons, um, I try to remember who I'm talking to, specific names and faces of people. What does this person or this family or this group of people or this demographic within the church need to get from this text? Now, I'm not going to insert something into the text that's not there, but what's the main point of application and how can I help them get it? Um, and so I think when we... You know, a lot of sermons can be preached to empty, empty halls or, you know, the lights are so dark you can't see people's faces and that sort of thing. And it really doesn't matter who you're preaching to. You don't know how they're responding and it doesn't matter because you've just you've got these points. Here's what the text says. And now go do that. But I think when we know who we're talking to, when we're in their lives, when I know that that woman out there has been lusting after this Deacon's wife, uh, husband, or no, or wife, or wife. What you find is quite possible. There's yes. your problem. Yes, right. You, you follow what I'm saying? When yeah. I know this person, you act like that never happens. Particular sin, or this person mm-hmm. is. It's different when you're preaching to a real person. That's exactly what I'm but saying. But don't do that yes. out of anger. Yeah, don't be vengeful. Thank you. Don't be, yeah. don't be vengeful. But there, been there's there. been times where I've where I've preached, and I'm like, this is really only for like two or three people. <laughs> You're wanting to hammer somebody. And yeah, well, uh, not necessarily, but sometimes it's for their good. Of right. like, you know, for that marriage that you know is struggling, and and that text is dealing with that. It's like, listen, if nobody else in this room gets it, you need to get it. And if you know you somebody know, has a particular doubt or barrier mm-hmm. that they face in that scripture, well, I'm going to try to explain it to them without taking undue time from the rest of the folks and that sort of thing. But I think it's, a, like you said, preach to a specific person or people. I took a poll of everybody, you know, don't be anxious. Um, so I did a whole uh, series on stress. And so what I did was I polled the whole church and asked the question, what is your biggest stress is? And what was interesting is I wasn't ready for that because one of the ones was uh, the the stress of losing your your spouse. Uh, we had some widows in the church and that was in the top five and, you know, making decisions without your spouse and loneliness. And I'm like, uh, I don't have a clue. And so yeah. it was neat because I got the opportunity to sit down and talk with some of them and understand, Oh, you are walking through this and, and really got to know uh, people on that level. And so I, I definitely think it helped um, in the sermon, but I want to wrap this up real quick. Um, one other, one other thing that somebody brought up, um, on the elephant room was a length of sermon. Uh, somebody brought that up and, you know, the whole thing, people can sit for four hours for a football game, but they can't sit through 30 minutes of a sermon. There is a point to that, which we understand, 
But I You're don't saying know the who, sermon's just not interesting. Enough. I mean, that, there is a that is a you know that is a part of it. You know, uh, there's there's a what somebody said. There's a small difference between a hostage negotiation and a sermon or something like that. Yeah. I forgot exactly. How a long that. sermon. Yeah. Yeah. If a football game only had one four hour play in it, it wouldn't be really exciting either. Right. <laughs> so, what's your thoughts on time? I mean, it depends on context. You know. Um, it's another place where I think we try to accommodate um, our cultural perceptions of what people can quote unquote endure. Uh, so I think it's a place where we need to stretch that. We need to challenge that. We have people in our congregations, particularly millennials, and overuse that term, but uh, particularly millennials who watch literally hour and a half documentaries of Jordan Peterson talking about psychology and ethics and you know what i mean like crazy and they take they take in all this stuff and and we have skeptics in the congregation who will watch lawrence krauss talk about redefining the word nothing to try to do away with the the existence of god for 45 minutes or whatever so i do think that people have a larger capacity than we give them credit for Uh, however um if you are an unengaging preacher if you are poorly prepared if you but I'm preaching the word. Yeah, you can sweat all you want. <laughs> I think five minutes is too long for that. <laughs> that and that's yeah. my point. Yeah, uh, five minutes is too long for bad preaching, but it's tougher to put an upper limit on compelling, spirit anointed preaching. So I think it depends on context. If you have a, a college uh, age congregation, they're going to be able to, to endure things a little longer. If you got an older congregation, physically they're going to start getting sore sitting up. I mean, just being real, you know, go to the bathrooms, stuff like that. I mean, that's just true. If you have people with lots of kids running around, and you got to be sensitive to that. So I think context really matters. Yes, and and we have a multi generational context. Sure. So we've got all those issues that you're talking about. So I have found thirty minutes is is fine. It's adequate. It's not uh, too brief. It's not too long. It's just right. Does it make you more holy? I mean, honestly. It makes you more holy if you go only 30 minutes. <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you go over 30 minutes. Now, I, how long did we normally, Dennis, you said you're 30 minutes. How long do you normally preach on? Probably 30. About 30. About I was 45, yes, per Sunday. But but normally about 30 yeah. minutes? Ours is like 45 to an hour. Yeah. I'm I'm f- about forty five minutes. But I think I think to go along with what you said, Terry, I think part of that is context too, in the sense of um, we're trying to deliver valuable content for that amount of time. So it's not like, well, I've got a thirty minute sermon, but I've got a forty five minute slot, and so I'm just going to stretch it out. Like we don't do that. Yeah. We we try to intentionally do that, and 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 in our philosophy of how we do things is we go verse by verse so we kind of select a certain amount of verses that we know is going to kind of fit the time be frame that time frame yeah. yeah and so and that what that works for us in our context so i think you can't throw a time limit on it and be like well 20 minutes is unspiritual and an hour and a half is real spiritual <laughs> because you can just fall into too many ditches on either way i think the the point is is that if you're not selling people short, like you were selling, saying, Terry, if you're not um, underestimating what people are capable of doing and you're really challenging them with the Word of God, and at the same time, if you are not uh, basically trying to glorify yourself by 
showing how awesome of a preacher you are for an hour. Yeah. If you're not doing either one of those, then I think it's okay. You know, there it's the same thing with preaching the gospel. It's like you might get two minutes with somebody and you might get two hours with somebody. And the thing is, you make the most of whatever. And, you and got. I would argue that you can grow a congregation to have a healthier diet. Yeah. You know, you. But that it, takes time. It takes time you know, and uh, increments. And, you know, if you're trying to move a kid from constant, constantly eating donuts to eating broccoli or from spending five minutes at the dinner table versus sitting down with the family, it takes time to ingrain that sort of thing. But I think you can steadily increase the capacity of your con- – and hopefully we would – increase the capacity of our congregations to be able to digest greater doctrinal content um, and you like you think about somebody like John MacArthur, okay? Now, a lot of people love John MacArthur. You know, I think he's a great theologian. I think as far as being faithful to God's Word, he's a great preacher, except for his eschatology. Um, but <laughs> Wonderful but eschatology. if you listen to him, I think everybody would generally agree. John MacArthur's not exactly the most you know, charismatic, exciting no. person to listen to. But at the same time, there's thousands of people every week that have listened to him preach verse by verse through the Bible for like 40 years. J. Vernon McGee, I have a you hard know. time listening to, like his voice yeah. aggravates me, but I love his content. I can listen to it all day long. Right, so, but, so but, but the, the thing book. is, is you yeah. have an appetite for it, is yeah. what you're saying is, is yeah. so uh, people don't love John MacArthur's preaching because he's exciting. You know, when it, com- when it comes to... to uh, somebody who with charisma who's a really good communicator. Stephen Furtick is an awesome communicator. He really is. I mean, hands down, don't care what you think about his theology. The man is extremely gifted when it comes to speaking. The problem, that's why people the problem show up is, to hear him. Yeah. right. That's right. why people show up to hear him. The problem is, is you know, you don't you don't get a whole lot, you know, out of that. And so you can fall into either ditch. You know, it, you can be an awesome communicator and communicate nothing of value. And you can have really valuable truth, but it do, it's not valuable to the people you're preaching it think to because you're not communicating Marvel, it well. Think about what Marvel has just done with uh, Infinity War. No spoilers, Terry. No, it's 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 an over two and a half hour movie. And you're locked in. And you're flipping locked in. If it's bad, there's no way people are paying. It's, it's set a, a box office record of a billion dollars or some craziness. If it's bad for two and a half hours, then nobody's ever going to go to another Marvel movie. You're not going to trust them with that. Like Star Wars. Yeah, but I right. But I think I think yeah, because it's compelling and they're there for the content. Then well, and, and look how long the Lord of the Rings movies were, and books. Yeah, for yeah, that matter, yeah. big old yeah. fucking things. Yeah. yeah, but they they were engaging. But but here's also what I say whether it be MacArthur or you, me, Adam, Ben, what whatever, you, you've got to be faithful. In the sense to who God made you to be, yes, and and so if you're trying to be Stephen Furtick and you're not, or you're trying to be John MacArthur and you're not, I've got to be Dennis Thurman, and for me, about a thirty-minute sermon, two pages typewritten, writing makes an exact man. That's what I need to do with the freedom. You know, there are those occasions that I will preach longer or shorter, as the Lord yes. But but I basically am going to fall into the the sequence of my personality, how God, what He's yeah. called me to do, yeah. and I think that's why MacArthur, uh, of course, his faithfulness to the text is uh, certainly preeminent. But he's being who John MacArthur is. Right. He's not trying to be somebody else, and that's sacred to the Lord, isn't it? He calls individuals right. mm-hmm. to communicate His word. So if we try to be someone else, we're doing a disservice to the Lord. Yeah. He called us to be, now we're sinners, and he calls us to be sanctified, 
But be yourself. Man. Yeah, if holy. you think about it, essentially, if you get out of your lane and you want to start trying to do what somebody else is doing or be somebody else in ministry, basically what you're saying is, is God, you messed up. You didn't make me. Now right. we can have heroes and people. That yeah, but we I'm saying that, if you're get, you know, if you're one of these guys that's like, I'm just going to download sermons on the internet, right. and I'm going to get wood pallet background in my church and some Christmas lights. And no, there's anything wrong with that. No, hey, <laughs> I, I like you it don't personally. Have it in Westwood, but, but I, but I'm, but I'm just saying, if you're, if you're one of those people that. You just you think that it's a franchise and you can just franchise that joker and pop in Life Church or whatever you want to do and you're going to magically be successful. Not only are you robbing yourself from the blessing of being a real pastor, but you're you're also implying that God has done something insufficient. Well, we hope you've enjoyed this uh, conversation on preaching. And listen, if you you want to add something to this the discussion, uh, be sure to comment on there, and we'll try to. Uh, tackle it. And if you've got any suggestions on topics or anything like that, add to the comment section as well. You can do that on individual Facebook pages or our own Facebook page if you haven't liked that page. Which is the Four Horsemen. Number four. You can also leave us an honest five-star review on iTunes, which someone has done already. Wow. Thanks, Mom. And we're going to have a special (laughs) special drawing for all those that leave five-star reviews. Yes. So... What are you going to draw? Uh, we're going to give them an 8 by 10 glossy of uh, Terry Hollifield. No. The glossy part's my scalp. We'll Is that give, with hair? We will give can you a, a copy of, of the trailer of we, we signed by yeah. Dennis Thurman. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we hope you join us for the next episode of The Four Horsemen. You can continue the conversation online by visiting us on Facebook at facebook.com slash the number four horsemen. Don't forget to tell your friends and enemies about the podcast. And be sure to subscribe and review. They look at me funny when I talk like I got a speech impediment. Homie, check my passport. Heaven, I'm a resident. Like a conscious rapper, but do more than master president. I see brothers coughing, so I hit them with the medicine. On the other side they say their grass is greener seen the forecast man they call them for katrina so we do the intro yeah yeah you ready go for it <clears throat> well we want to welcome everybody <laughs> we're back. is your pressure voice ready we got a rap we got a rap again take two he hit me last week or two weeks ago. He's like, oh, good. Yeah. Take 12. I don't even remember what I was doing. You were Alan. No, you're doing this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go on. I'm just making points like this. Said, bless God. When I preached at my grandmother's funeral, the recording. <laughs>